And we're on. Hello there, everybody. This is TC Rollins. And this is Rain DeGray. It's been another week. You've bought the ticket, and this Dirty Talk podcast train is leaving the station, ready or not. Choo choo. Here we go. Chugga 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 chugga. A couple weeks ago, we talked about sperm donation. Yes, we. I recall and all sperm, of sperm raising. Donation. There was a lot of talk yes. about sperm. <laughs> I haven't been able to stop thinking about sperm fighting their way through little mazes. Like in my mind, I'm I'm designing sperm obstacle course. It's your fault. You put it in my brain. Well, you're welcome. You are very welcome. One of the things we did not discuss around sperm donation, which I have only recently fallen down into the quagmire of information and legal ramifications and ethical debates around posthumous sperm donation. Well, po- oh, wait, pot. Okay, I'm, I'm trying to unravel this. Is this, wait, donation? So this isn't like when a couple that's married freezes all of their essential baby bits and then he dies, but she thaws it out and- This is, this is removing the sperm from the body after death. Uh, necrophiliacs do that. No, no, no. But, but I mean, it's not, not in like a, it's not a sexual act. So- we're removing yes. the sperm from the testicles in a non-sexual way, like yes. how? Okay, okay. Do you, if you want the backstory uh, I on do. this to start off, I do okay. want the backstory. The first person to do this procedure was a doctor named Cappy Rotham, and this was first done in 1980. He was a fertility specialist, and he found different methods of working with guys that didn't have working junk. And he found ways that he could extract the sperm, usually with needles, from their testes. He actually runs one of the largest sperm banks in the world down in San Diego. Back in late 1979, early 1980, he got a call from the chief resident of neurosurgery at UCLA, this well-known politician's son, from the articles I've read, the politician has not been named, but I'm sure if I want to go deeper into this, I can probably find out whose son this was. This well-known politician's son was in a car accident and was left brain dead. So the neurosurgeon at UCLA called this guy and said, hey, this politician, who we all know, who is not to be named, well-known politician whose son dies in a car accident. So if anybody cares to look this up, some politician's son dying in a car accident in 1980. They want to know if they can extract and preserve their son's sperm. Uh, um, okay, wait. All right, so I'm tracking this. Then the offer would be, would they find a likely womb at some point? And yeah. they're like, hey, they just wanna, we want to save I the sperm. Have... And then at some point, if there is an egg donor, we can make babies from our dead son's sperm. Okay. 
So then, oh, so they could create a, a grandchild. Yeah, so they can create a grandchild. And so so this doctor, Dr. Rotham's thinking to himself is like, okay, how are we going to do this? He came up with three options. He was thinking, okay, we could administer a drug to the body that would make the whole body convulse. And hopefully this convulsion oh. would induce ejaculation. And, and, then they could, and just shoot yeah. some out? Yeah, and so they could, oh. they could then uh, try and collect the sperm oh. from that because the thing is the, the body was brain dead it was still technically functional so the heart was still beating and th- and this also gets into the question of when is somebody dead and i've been reading this book recently by mary roach called stiff it's just the the secret life of dead people it's it's Quite interesting. I would I've heard of it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, couldn't you have given him a handy if he's still? That was like... the other thought. Okay. He's like, yeah. okay, so we could either give him this injection to make his whole body convulse and then hopefully cause an ejaculation. That we seems could risky. Give him manual stimulation. I shouldn't. Manual and then, stimulation. And, and then hopefully, yeah, we're not going to call it a Jackie. <laughs> or manual. we could remove the organ. And try and extract the sperm from the testes. I, hand job is the way to go. I mean, sorry, manual your, stimulation. Manual stimulation. We're being scientific here. Right, right, right. Yes, I could wear a lab coat and everything. Yes. So he remembers in, in one of the articles I read where they interviewed him, he said, I remember there was a pause at the end of the phone as he's talking to the, the neurosurgeon. <laughs> and then the neurosurgeon says to him, hey, doc. I've been asked to do a lot of things as chief resident of neurosurgery, but if you think I'm going to jerk off a dead man, you're crazy. <laughs> wait, wait. He actually said that? Is yes. That this, is, this is the quote. This is the quote I got from the article, which is one of the better quotes I've read. Is like, if you think I'm going to jerk off a dead man, you're crazy. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be him. He could look for volunteers. Yeah, just, just pull some poor nurse in there and be like, just, just. You know, I'll give you a couple minutes. Do what you do. Oh, <laughs> oh So what wow. they decided is that they were going to go with the option of removing the testicles and then get the sperm out of the testicles that way, which they did. And they were successful. So this is the first time back in 1980 that sperm was harvested from a dead man. I would say that the that the manual stimulation still would have been easier. This is my opinion. I'm not a doctor. Okay. Possibly. I mean, since then they they have other methods. There's there's basically three different methods that they use now, which one is the needle extraction where they actually will try and stick a needle in and pull out the sperm. Hopefully they'll collect a decent amount of sperm. The second is where they take out the epididymis where the sperm usually hang out after it goes through the spermatory ducts, which if you remember from our sperm podcast, Steve, if you remember Steve, this is the the path that the sperm takes, right? So it goes into the epididymis. This is where they held. So they extract the epididymis and then they milk it. They, they call milking the epididymis or they do a rectal probe ejaculation where they take oh, an yeah, electric yeah. probe, uh, insert yes. it into the anus and then uh, right and next to the will. prostate and then yeah. hit the prostate with electricity, will. which will cause the muscle contraction and then the, the sperm will ejaculate out. And so they do this with people that have spinal injuries. If they mm-hmm. want to try and get pregnant and extract the sperm, they will stick the electric probe in the butt and hit 
the prostate with the, the, the current to, to cause the ejaculation. So this is, these are the three methods that are still used to collect sperm from dead people. Well, in, in the world, according to Garp, Garp came to existence because his mother very thoughtfully uh, helped out a brain dead soldier who was in the hospital. So she was a nurse mm. and she was like, oh, you've, you've got some needs. Let me help mm. you with that. And she ended up pregnant with Garp. Yeah. So it wouldn't be the first time that a nurse has lent a friendly helping hand or other orifice. Yes. They're givers. Yeah. So this has turned into like a very common thing that I didn't know was going on. How often do people need to extract out sperm in that way? Like, how could that be that common? It depends. The, the way I started reading about this is I saw a recent article in the Jerusalem Times where they're talking about passing laws so that the family of the deceased can get their child sperm. So there's a debate in this whole thing. What I found, there's this massive debate as to like, there's two sides of this. There's the parents who want the sperm of their children. And so the argument is like, do the parents have a right to their children's sperm? Is it like organ donation where they can decide what oh. happens to their body after they're dead? But the the question is is has this person given consent to take the sperm and then they're going to create a grandchild so these parents are distraught their their child has died oftentimes it's like their only child and they're like we knew that at some point they wanted to have kids so we're doing them this favor by extracting the sperm and then even if they didn't have a significant other maybe at some point we can find a willing egg donor and create a grandchild. Uh, one of the articles I was reading was discussing this. There was a man named Nicholas Evans who died in 2009. He was in a bar fight. Somebody hit him. He fell and hit his head on the pavement and died. Oh, wow. His mother fought hard, spent a ton of money fighting the legal process to get his sperm. I mean, she's later admitted that, like, I was really emotionally distraught. You know, you don't know how hard it is to lose a child. Right. right. She got his sperm. She spent thousands of dollars. She scouted egg donors and potential surrogates. And then a few years after his death, they did try to have some embryos created, but none of them took. So she still oh. has the sperm. She said that she feels just a little bit more attached to him because she still has some of his DNA. So there's still the possibility um, there that some of him can live on, even though she's given up on the possibility of doing in vitro fertilization and finding an egg donor to create a grandchild. But she has talked to some lesbian couples about donating the sperm to them. So if they want to try for a child, they can, and then the kid will be raised by the lesbian couple instead of being raised right. by her as a grandchild. So the, the the ethical argument around all this is what happens to the kid? Like some people are arguing, like they're making adult decisions based on adult feelings. Like we understand you lost a child. You don't want that to be the end of your child's story. You want your child to move forward and mm. be more than what they were. So you want to have this grandchild. But what 
would they have wanted? So this is the mm-hmm. this is the legal argument, and there there are some countries that refuse to allow this. Uh, Sweden, Germany, Canada don't allow it whatsoever. They say no, you cannot take sperm from dead people. Mm. I mean, what does that do to the child too? Where's my daddy? You, yeah. Daddy uh, how do you how dead, do you like, answer how that? do you right? But then on the other side of that argument there's the people saying, well, it's the same as having an anonymous sperm donor that the child never meets. Be like, well, I'm your mommy. This person donated sperm and you're never going to meet this person, but it doesn't matter because I'm your mother. But it's not because most people that would fight tooth and nail to extract sperm out of their dead son's testicles are not then going to just give up the sperm willy-nilly to someone and never have any interaction. If you're fighting that hard to get the the sperm out of the your dead child's testicles, you're not going to then just turn over the sperm to anyone. Mm-hmm. I know that you just used that as an example. Uh, you did mention that the mother had to fight for a long time to get the sperm. It is possible that by the time she got the rights and the authorization that the sperm had lost some of its vitality and juice. And so then she's saying, okay, well, I'll hand it over. I mean, it's aged sperm yeah. probably. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it yeah, it's kept cold. It's cryogenically frozen yeah. just like yeah. any other sperm that's been donated. And it can usually last for 10 years or so. And even if they have like one sluggish sperm, they can just inject that into an egg right. and try and create a viable fetus. So it. it's not it's not exactly an analogy to say it's like an anonymous sperm donor because most people would not then just donate the sperm to anybody and never have anything to do with the grandchild they fought so hard to create. Yeah. You know. Well, yeah, and they would want to have some sort of involvement with this with right. this child's life. The other legal ramifications from this is the inheritance rights. Of the child. Oh. So even even in situations where there's countries that don't necessarily have laws around it, a lot of these fertility clinics have rules that they have to have a cooling off period. Because if you're in grief, you might do something drastic that you don't really right. think through fully at the period mm. because you're just missing this person. You're in grief and be like, I want to harvest their sperm. I'm going to have this child. So even the fertility clinics that are willing to go and harvest it from a cadaver are going to tell them, hey, you have to wait for a little while. Mm-hmm. This even came up in the very first baby that was born from harvested sperm. So the very first time that they were able to harvest it from a dead person was in 1980, but it wasn't until 1999 when the first child was born from post-mortem harvested sperm. Uh-huh. That's a mouthful right there. So in uh, 1995, a man named Bruce Vernoff died in an accident. His wife uh, decided to extract five vials of his sperm from his corpse, which is quite a lot, but they were able to do this. I think the guy that first did the procedure, this this chappy guy, was the person that helped her with this. It wasn't until 1998, so this was three years after he died, that she decided she wanted to start doing in vitro fertilization. On the very last vial... It successfully took, and she got pregnant. She had the baby, 
But then about five months after giving birth to the baby, she filed a claim for child survivor benefits on behalf of her daughter and herself as the surviving child's mother from the Social Security Administration. Well, isn't she entitled to that, though? I mean, that's what you would get if you... If if the baby was already born and one of the parents oh, died, then okay. yeah, you would be entitled to that. So th- that's why it went to court, because the Social Security Administration completely denied the claim. Okay. And saying, well, yeah, if the child had already been born, then oh, the child okay. would be entitled to the surviving benefits of the parents. But the guy died in 95. The kid wasn't okay. even born until born 99. Until- so there was hey, like, no, no, the kid was born four years after the dad died. This We can't work it out this way. Because the other uh, thing is like, if if that's the case, if you can harvest the sperm from like, let's say this politician's son and this well-to-do politician has a lot of money. And then later on, 10 years after this person dies, you have a baby using this sperm that was harvested from the corpse and be like, well, this is this person's son. Therefore, they are entitled to whatever inheritance mm-hmm. this person would get, right? So there's the legal implications. It's like, what legal rights do the kids have to the estate of the dead father if they were born after the person's already died? So that's why it's this whole legal quagmire that I've like fell into. I was like, this is incredibly interesting. Also, you would know that people that have the time, money, and inclination to go about harvesting sperm from corpses in the first place are going to be more likely to have complex inheritance stuff like that. Yeah, probably. Or go and file for survivor's benefits four years after the kid's father died, which I mean, I understand, like, sure, she's arguing that she's entitled to this, but you intentionally went and had this kid with this dead guy's sperm. So therefore don't expect social security to come through on the survivor's benefits. And what the social security argument on this eventually came down to was consent where Mm. this guy didn't explicitly consent to this happening. Maybe if there had been some formal letter that he had created some sort of will before he died saying, yes, I want to have children, then possibly Uh. she could be, Okay. Eligible for these survivor benefits. But since there's no saying what this person's consent is, then right. they're saying we can't do this because it, it could have just gotten this sperm from anywhere. And it just it creates this precedent, which just should not be. Also, I learned in California, uh, there are no inheritance or social security rights that go to children that are born 300 days after the parent dies. Or the father dies because there's no way that the child could be born 300 days after the mom dies. So after the father dies, there's like you have that 300-day window. So this is one of the other reasons why a lot of places that are willing to do this sort of thing say you have to have this cooling off period and then mm. it's outside of this 300-day. And then okay. it, you can't come along and be like, well, now we have an heir, you know, pay up. Right, right, right. Okay, that's fascinating. Yeah, I didn't think of, I mean... Until tonight, I had no idea that people were even harvesting sperm in the first place yeah. like that. But uh, yeah, the the legal implications of what that would be, because most people are not going to write, hey, if I do die, please take out my sperm because mm. I want to have babies in the future. Like yeah. you, if you don't have that in writing, what, what are the 
probably most people would not have been saying in the first place, yes, please harvest out my sperm and make more babies. Mm-hmm. And and there is a difference between a lot of times somebody will find out that they have an illness, they have cancer or something like that, and they know they have to go through chemotherapy. And so they'll preserve their sperm just in case they can't have babies afterwards. And then if they die from the cancer, then it's a completely different thing. If they already have this banked sperm, obviously they gave implied consent because they say, well, I want to have children. I'm saving the sperm because I want to have children. So there's still that implied consent there that this sperm can then be used to impregnate my partner, right? But then it's a completely different thing when it's the parents coming along saying, we want to save our kid's sperm, and then we're just going to find some random person to implant it into. This is one of the things that happened in Israel. So there is this law that's going through in Israel uh, to, to see if the parents have this right to create a grandchild. Back in 2015, the parents of a combat reservist that was killed in training won the rights to have the grandchild and got the sperm harvested. But even so, the widow refused to have the baby. And she's like, I want nothing to do with this. We're not going to use my body to inject. Like, I loved him and all, but we're not going to inject his sperm into the body. So then the parents were like, well, we have the sperm. We are legally entitled to do whatever we want with it. So we can just find some sort of egg donor to create ourselves a grandchild. So there's, there in it, like I said, it's this whole weird tangled mess when you start dealing with this and then having to prove what this person would have wanted and consented to. Wow. Yeah, I don't blame the widow for tapping out. That would have to be a very difficult phone call to get from your ex-in-laws. Hey, <laughs> we, got we, the have juice. A, we have a proposal for you. Would you like to be a baby maker for us? Uh, wow. Yeah, shred out your bladder, have to pee all the time, get stretch marks. She's like, no, thank you. A p- pass on that. So even though this does happen, like, I mean, it's, it's not too frequent. The guy, the original guy that did this, he says that he's been approached to do it roughly about 200 times. But out of that 200 times, only two people have really tried to move forward with having kids with it. So most of them stop at we have the juice and yeah. that's comfort it's comforting to us. I think it's comforting because then you have the options. And and as yeah. I think we've talked about before, it's always better if you have the option and choose not to take it, it's better than not having the option, option and being yes. forced to right. not be able to do something that you might want to do. So even though it'd be like, but just the thought itself, like how does this thought cross your mind? Your child dies and you're in grief and be like, oh shit, we gotta get this sperm. Because it needs to happen fast, too. So fast. One of the things I was reading about is that the the most they've only been able to collect it within the first like seventy two hours, and there's only been one case of a baby being born of a guy who died, and they were able to extract the sperm forty eight hours after this person died. But he also died in very cold water, so it might have preserved mm-hmm. him a little while longer. So it's just like, it's rapid. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, they're dead. We're grieving. Shit, we got to get the sperm. We got to find a person right now who's willing to go in. And sometimes they've had to have the body shipped like hundreds of miles. So they'll have to pay oh. a bunch of money to get a hearse or some body transport service because they do have these body transport services right. to, to find somebody 
if you don't have anybody in the area who's like, yeah, I'm willing to do this. Some hospitals, they don't want to touch it. They have no policies for it because there's so many legal repercussions and right. questions around it. They're like, we're not going to do it. So you have to find somebody within this really tight window of maximum three days. Finds and, and hopefully the body's not like too mutilated or anything like that. But like, right. we're going to find somebody, we're going to get the body there and we have to have this procedure done and the sperm frozen within a couple of days of our kid dying, you're having to figure out the funeral. You have to figure out fast, like fast, all this like, life changing shit and be like, but we need the sperm. We need the sperm. Get the sperm. Hurry up. There's a ticking clock on the sperm. Move yeah. faster. We got it. We got to get the sperm. Yes. Sperm is aging. We cannot have that. Got to get the electrode uh. up the butt so we could, <laughs> <laughs> we need to make our dead son ejaculate. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if I was a parent and I'm not, and my, if my kid passed on, unexpectedly, I don't think that like one of the top three thoughts would be, okay, got to get that sperm out in the next 72 hours. Yeah. Like that's a, a special type of brain to even go there. Yeah. Wow. So that's what I've been uh, looking into for quite a while uh, as an offshoot of sperm donation. And I had no idea that posthumous sperm I harvesting had... was even a thing, but it is more common. I mean, it's not extremely, extremely common. Right, But it is more common than you think. And there are these people out there whose initial thought when their child dies is we need to harvest that seed. Our progeny must live on. There are some people that are very attached to their DNA in specific, their lineage, their line. It's not everybody, but the people that are really focus on that. Mm -hmm. Our line must continue. Uh, yeah, the I had no idea till tonight that was a thing as well. It's and and the consent issues, the legal issues, the fact that there's even a market for this, and that there are a select group of people on the planet. They're like, I'm down with extracting the sperm out of corpses. Mm -hmm. Like, what's the short list? Like, is there like an underground? Like, this is the directory. <laughs> This is the person that will do this. They're in the next state over. You got to move fast. We'll get you a chilled hearse. Mm -hmm. they, we, they will get to the sperm extraction. Hup, yeah. Hup. yeah. If you want it, you have to be dedicated and you have to jump on yeah. it right away. Yes. Well, I have uh, I have testicles. Oh, testicles. You. Okay. Speaking of testicles. Speaking of testicles, you, yes. uh, I would have to, this is still in the vein of testicles. So it's connected. But it's uh, still in a bit vein. Okay, veiny testicles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did that on purpose. You're welcome. That was some low hanging fruit, much like mm. these testicles. See? Oh. See? <laughs> wow, the hits just keep on coming. They were so easy. <laughs> much easier than making a dead man come. I have Hitler's testicles for you. Oh, are we making a dead man come? Hitler's, uh, Hitler's testicles? Uh, uh, I'll stop now. I'll move on to it. But I mean, come on. I was on a roll. There is a new video game out called, are you ready for it? I'm ready. Sex with Hitler. <laughs> okay. It has just I come mean, out. I mean, we've all thought about it. Uh, if have, we're going to be I honest, have, everybody's contemplated it at least once, once, right? In my entire, no. Never once have I thought about having sex with Hitler. Never, never even crossed my brain. But as it turns out, it has crossed enough people's brains that a video game has come out. It is riding high on Stream's new release charts. Why, oh, riding high? Why, are, nah. are you intentionally throwing out these double entendres? Or nah, is this just, just a natural a, thing for This you? is just how I am naturally, baby. It's not my fault. 
Romantic Room, which specializes in, uh, you know, more adult-themed video games, okay. as I'm sure the name is a bit of a giveaway, has come up with Sex with Hitler, which features an unusually cut Hitler. Like, Hitler's been putting in some time uh, in the gym. Yeah. and it's Not a part- whole lot to do down in the bunker. Well, it's it's partly a a uh, a shooting game, you where you shoot at allied forces, and in between shooting at allied forces, you then go bang a bunch of cartoon characters. And can you guess the objections that people are having over this game? Besides having sex with dead Nazis, <laughs> that's the, I mean that's the obvious one. The- You're shooting at the allies, so. You're it's shooting night. at the U.S. and the Brits and, and the Russians. And, and plowing a lot of pussy. And that, or, or, or a lot of Hitler dick. Right. Well, I mean, the, you would be, yeah, there's, yes, Hitler you, dick is, and is there, pussy. Is there, is, there, is there like, you know, Elsa, she-wolf of the SS in there? Well, I've got a, a, a screenshot here for you. Uh, I mean, I have to admit that's a pretty young, look, she's like, she's maybe a radio operator. So there's Hitler, and they did okay, switch out the okay. swastika armband. It, the swastika is now actually a dick. Okay. Uh, so but I don't know if we can use this image as the poster image not, for this episode. Not. No, we'll. No, we shouldn't. <laughs> but it's you can look it up if you want. Sex with Hitler by Romantic Room. Maybe I'll it, put a link in with the episode. <laughs> You have not been able to guess why people are objecting to this game. So I'm just going to let you know. I won't leave you hanging in suspense anymore. Okay. okay. I will I will cup you and take away that suspense. People are objecting because this game features Hitler as having two testicles in his sex scenes. And people are very indignant and they are pointing out that Hitler only had one testicle. Maybe. Maybe we don't even it's, know it's that up, for it's, it's, it's for a rumor. And, and, it's up and for debate. There's no agreement on which testicle he was missing. We don't know if it was the right or left. Supposedly, he had one that hadn't descended, which yeah. does happen. Well, because so there was a prison report from 1923 after he was arrested in uh, one of the Munich beer hall riots. He was arrested and sent to prison, and we there were records that were found, I think, back in 2015 from the prison doctor who examined him and said that he had uh, right-side cryptorchidism, which is when in adolescence, one of your testes doesn't descend into the mm-hmm. scrotum, right? So he's saying that his right testy never descended, but then the Russian autopsy which was released back in the 60s, said they did an autopsy and his left testy was completely missing. They couldn't find any evidence of it in his body cavity or anything like that. And then there's anecdotal evidence that maybe during the First World War, his left testicle had been shot off or destroyed by shrapnel fire. We don't know the truth about Hitler's testicle or testicles, plural. Mm Mm-hmm. And I'm not advocating that anyone go out and check out this game. It looks pretty dreadful. Yeah. Uh, the animation is really badly done. And uh, we don't know if they were able to harvest semen from his one <laughs> testicle, from his testy <laughs> upon death. Because I've also heard that his body was pretty badly burned that, yeah, it was after complete, he shot himself in the head yeah. in the bunker. Right. So right. charred testicle, we don't know. 
Thankfully, there's no Hitler sperm out there making the rounds. Thank goodness for that. As far as we yes. know. As far as we know. I Weird things happened in Chile and Argentina, I've heard, allegedly. Don't sue us. We're in no way suggesting here at the Dirty Talk podcast that you go play sex with Hitler. Mm -hmm. uh, we would counsel that you invest your time and energy elsewhere. If you invest it poorly, you might end up dead like the next person I'm about to talk about. Or like Hitler. Or like Hitler. Uh, he invested he his time poorly, and I would say. Very poorly. Right, yeah. right. And, <laughs> and he ended up all burnt with holes in his head and jelly blood. Let's not mm -hmm. forget the jelly blood. Mm -hmm. He had his quack doctor had injected so much stuff into him. His blood was like sludge. Oh, yeah. It was like blood pudding. He couldn't actually do blood extracts. He kept injecting blood into Hitler and uh, completely messing up that. Blood giving him all sorts of crazy drugs. Yes, but also like blood injections and, and like beef injections, like oh, yeah. trying to make him like a health in between the speed. Uh, he was also injecting blood into him, didn't do Hitler any favors, and made his farts atrocious. Well, the doctors did say that Hitler had both balls when they interviewed his personal physician after the war, and they asked him about that because the English had that song that they would sing that Hitler only has one ball during the Second World War. So, of course, they wanted to ask the doctors about this, and his personal physician was like, oh, no, no, he was fine. He had, he had both nuts. Well, you've just reported three very contradictory stories. So I think we have established that we don't know. The Russians said one thing. Uh, the reports from him being arrested at the in Munich said one thing. Mm. His, his doctor was not exactly a reliable source. He was a bit whacked out himself. Moving on from Hitler, I have someone else who was very debauched and was really into the banging, uh, quite into the banging, a lot more than Hitler, who did not have quite this man's sexual appetites. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of the legendary Hostess Quadra? I've not ever heard of Hostess Quadra. He was a Roman slave owner who was such a debauched sexual pain in the ass that his very tired slaves rose up in his villa and killed him because they were tired of putting up with this dude's sexual demands, which had to have been fairly significant. Yeah, because and, usually Roman slaves were pretty much expected to have sex with their yes, masters whenever yes, they, they so were, desired. Yes, that was standard. It was par for the course, which makes you understand how bad this guy had to be for slaves to be like, we, we can't hang. We're actually going to kill you. Mm. We cannot deal with you. He was a uh, bisexual. He was a switch. He liked to top and bottom. He wanted to bang everyone. And before he was killed by his slaves, his most egregious crime was that he invented sex mirrors. In he was the guy? No, no, no. In <laughs> a very specific- I've used sex mirrors before. A very specific type of sex mirror. Okay. Hear me out. Okay, okay. Not only did this dude like to watch himself be banged in his sex mirrors, mm -hmm. he had the sex mirrors designed concave, convex, whatever you have to do for the angle. They weren't regular mirrors. They were designed in such a way that when you viewed them, what the reflection was seeing was not actual reality. He made these mirrors and they were designed in such a way that it looked like dicks were huge. So 
he liked to have sex in front of funhouse mirrors. Yes, is what you're saying. Yes, is is okay. what I'm saying. I've never tried that. I've I've done I've done the sex in front of the mirror to watch yourself, and sometimes you don't want to watch yourself unless the lighting's good. If you do it in dim lighting, it's kind of sexy. You got some music playing. You're like, okay, I can I can get into this. I got to get the mirror, big mirror over there. But I have never had sex in front of a funhouse mirror. That's a new one on me. He is known through being referenced by Seneca in his Natural Questions. The way that this fellow is described goes as such. There was one hostess quadra whose obscenity formed a model for everything that was lewd. He was rich, a very slave to his millions. He was eventually murdered by his own slaves, but the Emperor Augustus considered his murder undeserving of punishment, and as good as declared he had been justly slain. So for the emperor to be like, hey, a robo... Uh, this guy was kind of a perv, I get it. <laughs> for the emperor to be completely chill with a Roman nobleman being slain by his slaves was never heard of before. Yeah. Uh, that's how bad this dude must have been. Well, this is that's when you get a bad <laughs> reputation and people are like, yeah, I guess he deserved it. This man's lust knew no distinction of sex. Among other things, he had mirrors constructed of the kind that reflected images of abnormal size, causing, for example, a finger to exceed the size of an arm and length <laughs> and thickness. He so arranged his mirrors so that he could see all of his accomplices' movements and could gloat over the imagined proportions. So this dude basically created a fuck palace for himself where he could bottom in front of funhouse mirrors and watch himself and imagine that he was being railed by telephone poles. Uh -huh. And it eventually got so bad that the slaves were like, we, we can't fuck you in front of the funhouse mirrors anymore. We're out. We're resigning. Uh, and they didn't get in trouble for it. I wonder if he arranged them in a way so it like went on ad infinium. So it's just like, I'm being fucked in the multiverse by these giant tree-like cocks and it just goes on forever and ever and ever. Maybe. I mean, you're 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 rich, you're bored. Uh I have I do a lot of research into, you know, Romans kind mm -hmm. of hard not to. I mean, they're a very well talked about topic. One of the things that I came across a few months ago was the concept that Romans were all completely loony because they were all suffering from lead poisoning. Mm -hmm. All of their legendary aqueducts that was so effective for water and transportation and felt completely cutting edge. Just like when we were giving pregnant mothers thalmanide and being like, oh, it's totally fine as a sleeping pill. It's safe for pregnancy. Whoops. You don't have all of your fingers. Mm -hmm. You have to like make the mistake to realize to walk back. And Romans didn't realize this lead's leaching into all of our water wait, we're all insane and killing each other and sadists. And yeah. uh, it's not necessarily proven that it was uh, lead poisoning as a culture, but it seems highly probable that that was definitely a factor. Well, my thought was that the Romans were known for their excess and their debauchery. 
and just being horny and having massive orgies and all this. So if you're the guy that all the other Romans are pointing to and saying, okay, buddy, that's just a little too too much, then you know you've got a problem. (laughs) If it's like you're hanging out with your your, your druggy buddies and we're like, yeah, we like to do heroin, we're just all this fuck. But whoa, it's like Dave Mustaine getting kicked out of Metallica for drinking too much. It's like, okay, buddy, I think you've kind of stepped over the line. Oh, yeah, that's a very good analogy. Yes. Yes, I can't even imagine. He mu- he could have easily had infinity mirrors while he was fucked by a giant horse cock. Mm. Shifting from unimaginable Roman decadence, I've never seen any of those funhouse mirrors. I'm actually kind of curious how that would work now. But I guess if you have the time and inclination, no, I mean, uh, the mechanics of how it will work. Mm. I don't want to drape myself over a sex pillow and watch someone plow me with a telephone pole. I'm just like curious about the actual mechanical design of how mm. that would work mm-hmm. uh, for science. Speaking of science, mm. we've gone everywhere from sperm out of a dead man to fucking Hitler to mm. funhouse mirror fucking, which is so severe that your slaves end up slaughtering you. We're having less sex. In front of funhouse mirrors? Just in general, it's scientific study has come out, and you know how much we love science uh, here at loving, the Dirty Talk. We're loving the science. I'm rubbing my nipples with the science. <laughs> the National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles, or NATSOL, has been collecting information about public's sexual experiences for over three decades. And we can now come out and officially say humans in general are banging less all over the planet. We don't have specific reasons why. We have theories. And one of the theories is, okay, well, we're doing more social media. We're choosing phones and video games over banging. And the, the more that we get tied on to the great electronic teat in the sky, the less we do old-fashioned things like banging. Mm. That's one of the theories. A, another theory it, that seems pretty freaking likely to me is that we are all busier. Yeah. We we created electricity. We've completely shifted the concept of working. We are no longer tied to, hey, it's 5 p.m. There's no lights. We've got no candles. There's no TV. There's no internet. I guess we're going to bang. the sack a little bit. What else is there to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've become so much busier. And for a multitude of reasons in, in terms of uh, more people living alone, mm-hmm. uh, work schedules completely exploding, and uh, also social media. Yeah. Humans well, are that's, 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 the, that's the payoff too, because our ancestors had a lot more leisure time. A lot more leisure time, but yeah. But they also had shorter, less healthy lives. So the payoff is that we're eating better food. We don't have to worry about famine. We have all these modern comforts, uh, like electricity and actual beds. But the payoff is that we're constantly stressed running around and never have enough time to have sex. There has never been a point in human history that has been better for sleeping than right now where you and I are. Mm-hmm. Beds have never been more comfortable. Rooms have never been more secure. It's temperatures, like oh, yes. temperature has never been more regulated. We don't have fleas, ticks, bed bugs. Rats. Like, mm-hmm. The whole- like, Animals falling out of the <laughs> ceiling from our thatched roofs. 
<laughs> rain, mold, mm-hmm. fire. Like this should be an ideal time for sleeping. And fucking and, because and we have beds because we have the best beds the imaginable. Best my, ever. my memory foam bed is incredible. It's like a cloud. Use, your, it's your so bed. good. I convinced you to buy one yourself. Bad is, I've experienced the awesomeness of your bed and I'm like, I need one of these for sure. It's the best decision I ever made. I'm very happy with this bed. Not a lot of banging or sleeping happening mm. in the bed, but it is very comfortable. That's undeniable. If you have the time to sleep in it and you're not so stressed that your insomnia kicks in. I don't know. It's necessarily stress. I've had insomnia my entire life. Uh, I envy people that sleep easily. Like some people, this is so weird. They get into bed and they shut their eyes and then they fall asleep. Mm. It's like I've seen it happen right in front of my eyes. You've I'm been in next awe. to people that have happened. I've been. They've done that. Just like just so easy. I don't know how they do it. Mm. I have that. That's that. <laughs> as the t- taste taste of envy is in it my stuck mouth. in the back of your throat. Yeah, yeah. It's, hard, it's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? I can't, I can't get the envy out of my mouth. All right. Well, we're having less sex. It's unfortunate. I mean, especially during the pandemic, I think we've been having less sex because I myself have found that I'm not going out as much. I'm not meeting people. I'm not interacting with people. So I well, can, there's a p- pandemic I, on. Yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine that there's that's going to create the cause for less sex, but. Hopefully the repeat of the Roaring Twenties is just right around the corner and we could go out and drink all the bathtub gin and have all the crazy party time sex we want. And if we die, then people can still harvest our seed and we can live on through our children. I do not consent to have my seed harvested, and you have a vasectomy. No well, one's harvesting obviously, any obviously of our seeds. Obviously, people could say he has no. He's not consented that he intentionally got his tubes clipped and snippy snip. No, he does not consent. Nobody. I am telling you all right here. If I die unexpectedly, do not take my seed. It is going to my grave with me. I mean, you're welcome to try. Nothing's going to come of it. Well, it's still in there. Sure, but it's not. It's not. Oh, if they get past the snip? No, no, because it's you... still, I still have an epididymis. They're just, they're... So you're still producing active swimmers? Yeah. They just... yeah. Oh, That's what happens with the vasectomy. The... Oh, so okay. you just, all they do is they clip the, the vas deferens, which is the, the tubule that goes to the ejaculatory ducts, right? So I still have testicles. I still have an epididymis. Somebody could remove my epididymis and milk it. Oh. They just can't stick an electric probe up my butt <laughs> to make me ejaculate. So they would have to take it out and milk me. <laughs> In this way. <laughs> so I've gotten past okay. one okay. obstacle. Okay. But, but right. if somebody Noted. wanted to, Noted. they could okay. they really, okay. harvest me. Okay. But I'm telling you, like, right now, I'm you're not giving my consent. Out. Like, yes. yes, I intentionally made it so I can't have kids. Not just right. because I was worried of people. Like, Harvesting your testicles? Yeah, posthumously coming and be like, well, let's, let's take a seed. No, just because I didn't want any more kids. Okay, noted. So now, yeah, we have that okay. disclaimer here. It's on here. the record. Everybody can say, uh, if it ever comes yeah, yeah. down to it, anybody listening can be like, hey, he did not want this. We have proof. It's all that. Anyways, let's end it with that. Jaunty salute. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I learned so much today. I always do whenever we do one of these podcasts. Like, I'm going to go do some more research now because my brain is swimming. With You're going to go test- look up the, the postmortem sperm removal, right? I am. I totally am. It's true. All right. 
over and out, my friends. Thank you so much for joining us. I've got sperm on my brain. I'm going to go do some research, and we will catch you next week. Yeah. If you want to find more of us, I can be found at TC Rollins on Twitter, and you can be found... As Rain DeGray everywhere. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk at you next week. 